Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, welcome uh, to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Good morning, everyone. Show's called what? Your Money and It's Your Wealth. Did you know that, Michael? That's what show you're on? I did, yeah. No, that was the first thing I looked up to see which show I was coming on to. Uh, Mike Benier is with me today. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. Uh, so is Michael Benier. He is a certified financial planner. Both work for a company called Pure Financial Advisors. If you're a first-time listener to the show, welcome. Uh, Big Al Clopine is in Africa, doing an Africa safari for a couple of weeks. Uh, so Mike was uh, kind enough to fill in the gaps here today. Uh, a lot of things to discuss in the next couple of hours. <clears throat> uh, join us in the second hour for uh, Larry Swedrow. I'm going to have uh, get into his mind. If you've never heard of Larry, um, y- you're missing out. He's one of the smartest men, in my opinion, in finance. Uh, when it comes to investing and managing your money. Uh, So we'll talk to Larry. He's written uh, 12 or 13 different uh, books on personal finance. So that's the second hour. For those of you that don't get the second hour, go to our podcast. A lot of you are listening to our podcast, but go to iTunes, Your Money, Your Wealth. Um, Go to the podcast there and subscribe if you would. Uh, Then you can get the full two-hour program. I know some markets were only one hour. Haven't made it to the big time in some markets. Get there. One hour at a time. Just one hour at a time. One hour at a time. And then with you as the co-host, I think it's going backwards. It's syndicating nationwide. I think it's going maybe 15-minute commercial. So um, so we got Larry. Um, I want to talk about Social Security. The clock is ticking here. Uh, The deadline is the 28th, so the end of the week uh, of this coming week here. So there's some decision-making that you have to do if you are uh, full retirement age. Uh, So we'll get into that. I want to get into, um, you know, there's a lot of successful people, and there's some people that are not necessarily successful when it comes to managing their money. And I want to break into um, what are some of the, the, the smartest people doing with their money? Um, how do they manage it? And what are some of the habits that they have? And then so hopefully all of us are very successful when it comes to managing your money. You don't have to make a million dollars to be successful managing money. You just have to identify a couple of just key characteristics, and we'll dive into that. Um, what else, Michael? Do you got anything that you would like to chat about? No, I think that's a, it's a good list. <laughs> really? I'll just like you said, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in, fill in some gaps. Um, but no, I mean, I think talking about what others do, uh, you know, to make themselves financially successful, at least a starting point, whether it's create, you know, taking time to create a plan, having a diversified strategy with their investments and really just committing themselves to be financially successful. I think that's probably the, you know, underlying statement about everything that we'll talk about when we get into that is, you know, making a commitment to actually do it regardless of the amount of money. I have an article here. Top tips on how to retire like the rich. Huh, interesting. Would you like to retire like the rich? That's the goal. All right. Um, they save more than average. I love these articles when they just talk about the obvious. Right. Captain See, Obvious I, wrote this I saved, article. Saved a little more money than other people. You know what? You know why I have a million and you have one hundred thousand? <laughs> because, because I, I saved, saved a, a little bucks. bit more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, instead of spending more, the wealthy tend to save most of their money. Now this is true because I've met a lot of individuals that 
did you know throughout their working career didn't make a lot of money. You know, they weren't making hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? They're making 50, 60,000 bucks, lived in modest means, but they are millionaires today because they spent less than what they made. Right. right? And I think regardless of what age you start, too, I mean, even if I'm making a small amount, just getting some savings going so that I can take advantage of, you know, compound interest and, you know, continue to accumulate is, you know, you got to start as soon as possible. Have you ever read the book um, Millionaire Next Door? I have. It's been a long time. You know, so they take a look at, all right, well, the millionaire next door, you know, they drive the old pickup truck. You know, they don't have the fancy Mercedes. Um, you know, they don't have the fancy clothes or the jewelry or anything else. You know, they eat at home. Well, it's because they took that money and actually just saved it towards retirement, right, to make themselves more successful later on. And that's, I mean, that's my experience, too, in, in working with a lot of people. I mean, when... People spend a lot of money on those types of things. They're ill-prepared for retirement as opposed to the, the average person I know that, that I work with. I mean, has just done a great job of saving. I mean, maybe they did make a significant amount. Maybe they didn't. But, um, you know, they got started soon. But um, the problem is I think the more money people make, the more they spend. Oh, Absolutely. Right. It's but, like and oh. to a certain level. I mean, you should be able to. Right. I mean, if I get a significant raise, I mean, maybe I do, you know, have do something with it, you know, to have an extra trip or whatever it might be. All right, Mike be. Benier, I'm going to give you a raise of $10,000. What do you do with it? What do I do with it? I mean, at, I would try to save as much of it as possible. You um, would put another pool in your what's house. That? Yeah, that would that would be the first step. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, let, let, I mean, just thinking about it, if I got an extra $10,000, let us say that's after taxes, maybe, you know, 1000 or two, you know, ends up going towards some luxury and, you know, then trying to save a majority of it. I guess it depends on, I mean, if I'm in the position to where all of my expenses are currently being covered, you know, even including the fun stuff, being covered under, you know, my current income, well, I mean, a lot of that, you know, if not a majority or all of it should end up getting saved, you know, and if I get that $10,000 raise or if anyone, you know, when you do fall into that situation, it's starting now. Right, because just like you said, as we make more money, we spend more. So the more I get used to having that additional ten thousand dollars, the more my lifestyle will step up to that, as opposed to getting a raise and then immediately turning around and trying to save as much of it as possible. Well, you have to be realistic too. Is that all right? Well, here, you know, you might have been pinching, pay, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, and now you just got to bump up and pay. It feels good just to kind of all right. Well, here, maybe I don't necessarily have to stress so much, and you know, really you know, nail down that budget every single month where, and, and I get that. I understand that there's, so you, you kind of want to break it up a little bit. Is that maybe a third of it, right? You sure. pay down debt, another third, you, you, you save, and then the other third you blow, right? right? You know, do something like that. And then because you have, I, I guess the, the problem is, is that a lot of times people don't necessarily have a plan to know how much money that they should be saving to determine what income that they want in, in retirement. Uh, here's another one. They diversify their portfolio. While many CEOs own stock in their own companies, the rich also tend to keep a mix of funds. Proper asset allocation allows you to better withstand the ups and downs of the markets. So, wow, another genius um, point here. Yeah, but if anything, I mean, diversification, it's a risk management tool, right? I mean, that's how I keep my money as opposed to what actually got me there. Uh, here's an interest, uh, interesting one. They have several sources of income. So they don't solely rely on their day job for income. Wealthy folks up and have different ways of earning money, which is from rental properties and side businesses. 
Well, again, right? If I could have. Yeah, if I could have rental property, if I could afford to buy rental properties and then start other businesses. That would be a good situation to be in. But if I'm making 50 grand a year and got a couple of kids. Right, and I'm working 60, 70 hours a week, and then now I'm going to start some side business or, you know, run out and find some real estate. That's going to be tough. Here's actually, they hold stocks for a long time. Uh, They understand that investing in the stock market is a long-term strategy instead of uh, this uh, short-term solution. Absolutely, 1,000%. Stocks are risky, and you have to understand that, that when you go into any type of investment, stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities, whatever, that you have to understand the risk components of it versus the return. I think a lot of times we focus on the return of the investment versus how much risk that you're taking to get the return. So when there's risk involved, right, you have to give it time to do its thing. Because if you keep looking at a short-term volatility, that's when people freak out and get scared and do the wrong thing. Well, and that's why, I mean, a lot of people make a significant amount in real estate is it almost gives you that forced discipline, right? The fact that I can't look at the price of my real estate every single day and turn around and sell it immediately if I get nervous or scared about what's going on in the market. So it forces me to have more of that long-term strategy as opposed to stocks. Well, I can get in and out of the stock market all the time. And so unfortunately, that leads people to do it at the wrong time. Got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Mr. Mike Benier today, he's filling in for Big Al. Big Al is on vacation. He is in uh, Africa on an African uh, safari. So he'll join us in the next couple of weeks unless... Unless a little accident with a lion or something? Is that where you're going? <laughs> I don't know. I think he packed a lot of red Yeah, clothes. that's what he said. You can't, you can't really wear red shirts when you're out there, I guess. He's, he's got red hair. That's true. I don't know what you do about that. <laughs> I wonder if he just dyes his hair. <laughs> yeah. He'll come back just dark, dark black, black hair. Yeah. yeah, solid. Yeah, it's it's a it's a precautionary measure against uh, the the animals. It's a what? Precautionary measure? Oh, pretty solid. sure that's what I said. Is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, go to our website purefinancial.com if you want more information about us and our firm. Purefinancial.com. Hey, uh, real quickly, this is uh, due day. Here's the April twenty eighth for Social Security. Um, let's talk about it. A couple of things changed. November. Last year, 2015, President Obama signed the bar- uh, bipartisan budget bill, right? And that changed Social Security, put a couple billion dollars back into the system because they say they closed a couple of loopholes, which I don't really believe they were loopholes. Uh, but here's what they are. One is called file and suspend. File your benefits and then suspend them. Um, and the other one was a restricted application. They work hand in hand. It's a dual strategy that you have to use both of them. And let me explain it to you real briefly. First, I'm going to start with the restricted application. Now, um, you had to turn 62 by the end of last year. So 1231 of 2015, you had to be 62 years of age for you to still file a restricted application. What is a restricted application? Well, it allows you to not take your benefit, but your spouse's benefit or an ex-spouse's benefit besides yours and let yours continue to grow. So for instance, let's say that I'm married. I turned 62 before 1231 of last year. That allows me to do the restricted application. Now, there's so much confusion. Our phones blow up every time I talk about this because they're not paying attention or listening appropriately. If you're 62 years old, that you had to turn 62 by the end of 1231, you are entitled to do a restricted application. Write it down, restricted application. All right. And this is only good for the next four years. All right. And then it's done. 
So if I'm 62 years or older by 1231 of 2015, I can still do a restricted application. What is a restricted application? Is that let's say I am married and I am at least 62 years of age. I'm just going to assume I'm full retirement age, 66. Let's say my wife is age 66. Her social security benefit is $2,000 a month. My social security benefit is $2,000 a month. We are both 66 years of age, right? I think it's like, you know what? I don't want to take the $2,000. I want my $2,000 to continue to grow for me, right? I don't want to take my own benefit. So I'm going to file a restricted application to the Social Security Administration to say, I don't want mine. I would like to take the spousal. The spousal is half of your spouse's. Okay. So my benefit is 2000. My spouse's benefit is 2000. I don't elect to take the 2000. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to take the restricted application and only take half of my spouse's, which equals $1,000 a month. So I'm going to take the $12,000 per year for, let's say the next four years, right? Why would I do that? Why does this make any sense? Well, because my $2,000 a month benefit is going to accrue for me by 8% per year until I turn age 70, right? So it allows me to take money out of the system and let my benefit continue to grow by the 8% delayed retirement credit. So I can take the spousal benefit, get that extra $12,000 per year, let my benefit continue to accrue. Then when I turn age 70, I can turn my benefit on, okay? That's the restricted application. It means you're taking your spouse's benefit versus your own, even though your benefit is higher than your spouse's. You're saying, no, I don't want to take mine. I understand mine's higher. I, I realize that. So that's why I'm taking a restricted application just to take half of my spouse's. The reason why people do this is that they were probably maybe going to take the benefit anyway. They wanted to continue to let their benefit accrue by the 8% credit. This can add tens of thousands of dollars to the bottom line. So if you're over 62 years of age by 1231, you still can do the restricted application. It only really makes sense if you do the restricted application if you are full retirement age. All right. Was that fairly clear, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just listening through it. That all made sense. Now, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and then I, and maybe where you're headed, but the, the, what's not going away is the idea of the spousal benefit. Right, spousal benefit, you know, this idea of taking half of my spouse's is still going to be available after this date. It's just this idea of the restricted application to where I can allow mine to continue to grow, take half of my spouse's. But let's say, you know, my wife, uh, you know, stay at home mom, staying home with the kids. Um, if Social Security in the future is structured the same way that it is now, she'd still be able to take half of my benefit as a spousal benefit. Because it's going to be higher than hers. Exactly. It's just, and that's the case, is now it's going to be where you just have to take the higher of the two. Right. It's called deemed. You can't say, all right, well, let's say my benefit's 2000 my wife's 2000 I'm saying, well, I'm going to take the spousal. No, they're not going to give you the spousal. They're going to you give you your take own. $1,000 Yeah, because yours is going to be higher, right. right? So you're going to take it. The, the, how it works is that you can take the spouse's benefit or the spousal, spousal benefit or your benefit, whichever is higher. All right. So you got time frames around this. So as long as you understand, hey, I qualify for that over the next 40 years. Now, file and suspend. That goes away next week. So you, if you are full retirement age, all right, 66 years of age or older and have not filed for your benefit, I highly encourage you to speak to someone about the pros and cons of filing and suspending your benefit. 
What happens if you file for your benefit and suspend them? So you file for your benefit, but you suspend them. You're not, all right, well, I'm filed with the Social Security Administration, but I'm not going to take my benefit. I'm going to continue to let my benefit accrue, right, by that 8% per year. Why do people do that? Is that now let's go back to the restricted application. If I, my spouse, wants to take the restricted application to take the spousal benefit, that spouse has to be claiming for their benefit, taking their benefit, or had filed for their benefit and then suspended them. Right. Right? So let's say both of us, again, are 66 years of age. I want to file the restricted application. Okay. I don't want to take mine. My wife doesn't want to take hers either. But for me to get that re- the, that spousal benefit, she needs to file for her benefit, but then suspend them. So Security Administration takes a look. Okay. She's filed. That allows me to take the restricted application. So now I can get that 12000 a month. Hers will continue to accrue by 8% per year. Mine will continue to accrue. Uh, to accrue by the 8% delayed retirement credit per year. And then at age 70, we flip both of ours on. Right. So that's essentially what you've done is even, you know, maybe I don't need those those dollars right now. I, both of us have, or in your example, both of them had pushed that out till age 70. But in the meantime, from full retirement age or age 66 until 70, you're getting that extra $12,000 a year. You got it. This is all going away. All right. We got to take a break. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Now back to your money, your wealth. Talk Radio 760-KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called uh, Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joey Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. with Mike Veneer today. He's a certified financial planner as well. Uh, We both work for a company called Pure Financial Advisors. Pure Financial Advisors. Go to purefinancial.com for more information on us. Um, Looking at a couple of things, I want to talk about how to build wealth, right? And then this article was actually pretty decent, um, let's see, just ask uh, LearnVest Planning Services, David Blaylock, who doesn't simply advise his clients on the merits of good money habits. He practices what he preaches. Do you practice what you preach? I do. I don't think you do, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's, here, here's a couple of different things, and I actually like what he's got to say on a couple of these. One is reverse your thinking. So building your wealth, reverse your thinking. What do you think he's talking about here, Mike? Well, I mean, I think... People might have the wrong impression of how you go about building wealth, right? That you need um, you need a significant amount to to start with, or that you you need to wait until you have that you know job where you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to really start saving, as opposed to just thinking, okay, well, regardless of what I'm making, let me start early, right? Let me start saving as much as I can as early as possible. So just switching that that mind frame. That's all right. That's a decent answer, but it's actually paying yourself first. Yeah. Most people spend some money, pay their bills, and save what's left. And that's backwards. You should be saving for your financial goals first. Pay your bills and then consider spending the money that you have left over. Pay yourself first is key. And then it's out of sight, out of mind. And I've talked about this a few different times, is that I will ask someone, you just say, can you save 20% of your income? And they'll be like, ah, I don't think so. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm saving five percent right now. They're ah, and then it's just like okay, well, in retirement or like right now, do you think if something were to happen, right? If do you think you could cut your spending though by twenty percent, um, or do you think you could live off of eighty percent of what you're currently, you know, living off of now? Oh, sure, I could definitely live off of eighty percent. Right. Well, then it's the same thing. It's, it's right? the same thing, right? It's just it's it's how the mind kind of. Um, processes things well but also i mean like you said it will out of sight out of mind but also having a 
plan for something. I mean, if you look at just your overall income coming in and whatever's going out to cover, you know, the necessities, there's a certain amount of money that you're dealing with. If you set some things up on autopilot, whether it is a 401k or a Roth contribution or whatever other savings vehicle you're looking at, if it's not in my checking account, I'm less likely to spend it. But if it sits in my checking account, well, then my other, you know, discretionary spending is just going to come out. And another one is look where you want to go. I think that is extremely important. Um, when you take a look and write something down, right? if, if now with smartphones, right, you just kind of plug in an address, right? And it's going to help you get to the fastest route to where right? versus a big map. And then you got to look right now. It's just pretty easy. But people do that, right? If I'm going to a destination, you get a map in place. You actually say, OK, well, here, this is where I got to go. It's going to take me 15 minutes. Right? You usually get to your destination in that time period. But what about retirement? Do you have a roadmap for retirement? I would say probably 5% of you do. Well, it's figuring out, I think, the, what the destination is, right? What's my goal? What am I trying to get to before I start figuring out how to actually get there? Right. I think, well, yeah, I know I need to save money. I know that I probably, sh I got to pay down debt. Um, you know, I know I should have a cash reserve. I know all of this, but all right, well, how much cash should you have? How much money should you be saving? How much money do you want to spend in retirement, right? All of this is kind of the, the first steps to determine how to get there. Right, but there's so many- I want to go on vacation, right? So it's like, all right, well, I want to go to New York. Well, do you walk there? Do you drive there? Do you fly yeah, there? What's it going to take, yeah, to actually What do you, what do you, which, you know? Well, there's so many, but there's so much going on, I mean, in, in everyone's life, right? I mean, you've got, whether it's friends, family, kids, work, I mean, there's just, it's time flies by and there's so much that you can get caught up in. But, you know, if you know what that goal is or what you know the destination, I, like I said, I think that's the first step in figuring out, okay, well, if I know this is where I want to be, if I want to spend this much in retirement or I want to retire five years from now, now's the time to address, okay, what are the steps to actually get there? Live like a secret rich person is another one. Like a CIA agent? Secret rich person. Yeah. Do you got any comment on that? Or do well, you want me to say to... something then so you yeah. can just repeat what I said? Well, that would be easy. But uh, I think it comes back to one of the other articles that we were already talking about, right? That you might be wealthy. You might have a significant amount of money, but you're not showing it, right? You don't have the fanciest car or the fanciest wow, clothes. Look at that, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. For some, um, the, um, the image of a millionaire has visions of sprawling mansions and shiny Bentleys. But most millionaires don't live that way. Uh, rather, they tend to live well below their means and do more saving than spending. In other words, they're not flashing their money, according to uh, Dr. Thomas J. Stanley. He was the author of, oh, The Millionaire Next Door. Um, so, yeah, live like a secret rich person. Um, tackle retirement now. Okay, well, yeah, you know, if you're in your 20s or 30s, retirement can seem eons away, and saving for it might not seem like a priority. It's easy to understand. But, you know, you might want to start with 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, then go to $200 a month, and so on and so forth. I mean, hindsight's always 2020. I would say the biggest fear that most retirees have, or people in their 60s, is running out of money. Well, And if, and if we could go back in time, I guarantee you, everyone listening to the show, would save an extra dollar. Right. But I mean, even if I'm making $20,000 a year, first job, you know, whatever it might be, I mean, yeah, every little bit helps, especially when you're talking about a long time period before retirement. Um, you know, but getting started soon on a regular basis is, a, is an awesome idea. Uh, increasing your earnings. Well, that's good. That's Let's see. <laughs> uh, there are two ways uh, to increase your net worth spend less and save more. And spending less is only part of it. You have to save. And uh, when appropriate, invest the rest. 
says Natalie Taylor, CFP. Earnings more often doesn't lead to higher net worth because lifestyle expenses grow along with it. Wow. Uh, we were just talking about that. But if you grow your income and set some of these earnings aside, you can grow your bottom line. Aside from getting a raise or winning the lottery, there are a few ways to get more money flowing in. One suggestion is diversify your income streams by working a second part-time job. You ready to go back to work, Mark? Uh, uh, Mike, on the weekends? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little uh, maybe gardening business, something like that. You're getting a little green thumb, aren't you? I'm working on it. Yeah, we've got some uh, green beans, zucchini, and... Um... One other thing. I had high hopes for a lot more plants, but right now we're dealing with about, oh, and pumpkins. So three actually worked out of the hundred plants that I thought I was gardening. So a little bit. Uh, for those who can't cut their expenses enough, I love the idea of working part-time, says Blaylock. I have a great friend who is an attorney. She's a big travel habit that she is unwilling to pull back, so she works at a flower shop on Saturdays. I can see <laughs> Michael working yeah. in the little seed shop. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, considering consulting an expert, uh, there are times in life where consulting an expert pays you back in spades. You know, it's a lot of times people will come to us after they make a mistake, but it's very difficult to do that, uh, to, to, to help you, you know, after the mistake is made. So hopefully you can come to us before uh, the mistake. All right, we got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with uh, Mike Benier. He is a uh, certified financial planner as well. We both work for purefinancial.com, purefinancial.com. We are a fee-only uh, registered investment advisor. Um, right here in Southern California, we have offices in Woodland Hills coming to Sherman Oaks, um, here shortly, um, and then we have an office in Irvine, California, and then San Diego. Uh, so check us out online at purefinancial.com. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, write a review. Uh, that gets more uh, listeners to the podcast. So if you like it, tell us you like it. If you don't like it, um, I guess you can tell us that too. It's free country. Right. <laughs> I think that is an option. Yeah. It can be a one star. Um, I have how to pay less taxes in retirement here. And so this the the debate the big long debate, Mister Benier, is should I pay taxes now or pay taxes later? What do you think the answer to that is? Well, it's a tough tough question. Depends on what, but um, I guess it depends. You know, it, it, like if it's a four hundred one k contribution. You know, I mean we we talk a lot, or you t you talk a lot about uh, you know Roth conversions, trying to get more money into a tax free environment versus having all of your wealth built up in traditional four hundred one ks and IRAs that eventually is going to get taxed. But you know, I think sometimes people lose sight that okay, well yeah, I know I you know, I need that, but I think you know I need that tax deduction now, but I might want some tax free income in the future. Well. I mean, for a lot of people, for traditional 401ks are still, you know, a great tool as a tax deduction now. I think more of it's just being conscious of, okay, well, maybe I do take that tax deduction now, but what are my tax consequences going to be in the future? And I, I think most people aren't, aren't aware of how that's going to get taxed later on. All right. I'm going to get into a few different things, um, and then we're going to just hit on a couple of these topics here that people should take a look at to reduce their taxes. Is First of all, you have to understand how your retirement income is going to be taxed. The income that is created from your portfolio, from your pensions, from any other fixed income sources, first of all, you have to understand how all of the income will be taxed. Because if you have a real estate portfolio, right? well, some of that income might be sheltered through depreciation. 
So that could be tax favored. But if you've had a property for many, many years and you've already depreciated it down, right, then all of that income or most of it is going to come to you as ordinary income tax. Right. right. Unless you, you know, have a bunch of expenses or whatever the case may be. But you look at um, real estate is a tax favored investment when it comes to income in some instances where you can shelter some of the income tax. Uh, but the income that does come out will be taxed at ordinary income rates. Right. All right. So then you look at, all right, well, how about if I have a stock portfolio, right? Then you have to look at, well, where's the stock portfolio? Is it um, in a brokerage account outside of a retirement account or is it in a retirement account? Uh, Because those two accounts are taxed totally differently. Right. You know, if you look at if it is in a brokerage account, a non-retirement account, then if I've got a lot of stocks that are paying, you know, dividends or some other interest-bearing, you know, types of investments, well, that's, you know, going to come out, you know, depending on how it's structured, either as a qualified dividend, non-qualified, that could be ordinary income, um, you know, and then if it's in a retirement account, uh, like an IRA or a 401k, well, of course, that's a tax-deferred vehicle. So I'm not going to be paying any current income taxes on that. But then when I do start pulling from those retirement accounts, that's when I'll start paying the taxes. Then you, um, th- then you have to look at asset location, because that can significantly save people money in taxes, too. And so what that means is that you want to have certain asset classes in certain locations. So there's a brokerage account that's taxed at a capital gains rate. Then you have your retirement account that's taxed at ordinary income rates. So let's say if I want a stock bond portfolio, I have 100% of, or I have, um, let's just have a million bucks. And $500,000 is in my retirement account. $500,000 is in my brokerage account. Uh, so 50% of my portfolio is in an IRA, 50% of it is in a brokerage account or my personal account outside of retirement. My personal account is taxed at capital gains rate for any gain that I have if I hold that asset for at least a year and a day. Any asset at all, as long as uh, no matter how long I hold it inside my retirement account, I'm always going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. Okay, So those are two different tax rates. Ordinary income goes all the way up to 39.6, the top rate on Cap gains is 20%. Then you got the healthcare bill, which is another 3.8. So you're looking at about 24% on the ordinary or on the capital gains rate. Right. The lowest rate is 0% on capital gains. Okay. So you want to look at all right. Well, if my if if my brokerage account, relatively speaking, will have a lower tax rate on the earnings, right, or on the growth of the portfolio, where should I have my assets that have a higher expected return? In that account. In right? my brokerage account or my IRA, right? Well, I'd want to have that higher expected return in the brokerage account because that growth is going to get taxed more favorably than having all my growth in an account that's going to, you know, a retirement account that's going to come out as ordinary income. So that's the first step, right? So you look at, okay, well, there's asset classes that have a higher expected return. Stocks will outperform bonds over the long term. So if I want 50% stocks, 50% bonds, okay, and if I have 50% of my portfolio in stocks and 50% of it in an IRA, I want my bonds in my IRA and I want my stocks outside of my IRA. But what I see quite often is the exact opposite. Right. I've got my more conservative investments, you know, maybe paying, you know, interest in my non retirement account. I've got more of my aggressive investments in my retirement account because, well, you know, the attitudes that I'm okay, not going to, I don't need to touch that long term money. money right. right. You know, so that's where I want all the growth. And I mean, of course, in a perfect world, if you could just pick everything that goes up, well, then that doesn't really matter. But like you said, if I know bonds are going to underperform, I'd rather have my lower returning assets in my more, you know, in the account that's going to get taxed worse on the way out. 
And then also on the non-retirement account or a brokerage account, I can also take advantage of volatility, right? So uh, stocks do go down, right? We know that. We've seen that, you know, plenty of times. And so when stocks go down, if I'm holding all my stocks inside of my retirement account, I, I can't take advantage of that from a tax perspective. But if I have that money invested in my brokerage account, well, then maybe I can do some tax loss harvesting, you know? And what that means is if a certain holding, you know, I had $100,000 in it and now it's gone down to 75000 if I don't do anything then I'm not going to take advantage of that. But I could sell that particular holding, take advantage of the $25,000 in losses. Now, where people get confused is, well, I thought I'm not supposed to sell when markets are down. Well, you can still stay invested. I mean, let's say that I've got that $100,000 in a large cap growth fund. There's, there's a lot of different large cap growth funds, right? So I could sell fund A, take advantage of the tax losses, buy fund B, you know, maybe I invested, you know, almost identically or very similar. So I'm still in the market if it recovers, but I was able to take advantage of that from a loss perspective, which is another reason to hold more volatile type assets in that non-retirement account. Right. And so it works twofold is that now you have that $25,000 loss sitting on your tax return. So we're not telling you to buy bad investments to get a tax break. What we are telling you is that stocks go up and stocks go down. Stocks are volatile asset classes. When they go down, you can sell and buy something similar. Take advantage of the loss. That loss sits on your tax return. As your investments go up and you need to sell them to create retirement income, you could take that gain and write it off against the loss that you harvest dollar for dollar to create tax-free income. Um, if you do not have any gains that year, you can then take $3,000 of the loss and write it off against ordinary income, and then you take the remaining that will carry over the next year, and so on and so forth. It will continue to carry over until you use it all up. It's not like you have to use it all in one year. So you look at tax loss harvesting. You look at asset location. You look at where how and when um, are you going to take your social security benefits is another one because how your social security benefit is taxed is how all your other income is taxed right because it's based on provisional income and so that's basically your adjusted gross income with addbacks you look at your adjusted gross income and then you add back half of your social security benefit that you're taking and then any municipal interest so you look all of that and see what that number is well, if it's up, if you're married over forty-four thousand dollars, well, then eighty-five percent of your Social Security benefit is subject to ordinary income tax. Well, there's ways that you can create the income with a lot less taxes shown on your tax return to reduce the amount of money that your Social Security is getting taxed. I mean, there's so many different ways and strategies that you can do this. And speaking of Social Security, you got until the end of the week to make up your mind here for some big, big, big decisions. Okay. Got to take a break. Show's called Your Money or Wealth.